Rag Thong Arthletts. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 117th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own Galaxy's Greatest Comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for May and June 1984, progs 374 to 377. Oh yeah, buddy. And hey, if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd the Complete Case Files 8, Strong Team Dog SD Agency Files 2, Rogue Trooper Tales of New Earth 2, Halo Jones Book 1, and The Complete Future Shocks. Oh man, I am so stoked for Halo Jones, and I don't know why, because right now, it's just so fucking confusing, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Halo Jones! Um, anyhow... <laughs> <laughs> but let's we'll, right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that at the end because we got to get started at the beginning and that means we go to Thrill One Strontium Dog oh man so good yeah it's just keeps running at such a great pace <laughs> that's right uh, script robot for Strontium Dog Alan Grant and John Wagner is Alan Grant art robot colors is scary letting robot Jack Potter so, on the run, Johnny Alpha, Wolf Sternhammer, and Middenface McNulty look trapped on a spaceport tarmac by approaching Strontium Dogs that are coming after him. When suddenly, Middenface's old buddy, Spud Murphy, and Big Eddie show up, fire some gas bombs, oh, and buy yeah. them some time. Yeah. <laughs> man, I love that this man is a potato. It's real, uh, it's, I mean, I guess it, I was gonna say it's real apt, but, like, I guess Middenface is Scottish, so it's a little different. Um, anyhow, <laughs> the outlaws steal a nearby spaceship belonging to Mr. Barrington Boots, a rich guy, and then use his name to get free to, uh, to, uh, like, like, take off and escape the, uh, the spaceport. Apparently he's going to get even with them. I feel like that's a story thread that's not going to pick back up. I don't think so. Meanwhile, a couple other Strons, including our old buddy Egghead from um, the oh Portrait of Mutant story, um, are closing in on our buddy Frinton Fuzz, Evans the Fist, and the Torso from freaking Newcastle. And the Mantis guy who's with them just burning everything, and that's how they're flushing them out. And he's just doing it because he's a crazy pyro person. Crazy. Just likes watching shit burn. Yeah, he's a little firebug. Um, <laughs> wow. Our heroes managed to sick some musk rocks on them, which is uh, crocodiles combined with musk oxes. Um, and those things, things yeah, it's cool because there's all these mutant guys. Remember, they're like the, those penguin kangaroos last yeah. time and stuff. Um, that's great. Yeah, so they attack the uh, the Strons, they bite the fuel tank of their boat and sends them all exploding. Oh man, uh, for doom, or for yeah. damn. And the damn. Yeah, and the, and the mountain, and the mantis guy dies in this explosion. The outlaws take Egghead and his crony captive, and then they're beamed up by Johnny and company. The, in, in a very comical beaming up. I'm really glad they did that. It's real good. Like, I love watching people beam up, and they they got like little swoosh lines because they're just like wiggling around while they beam. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Not enough tractor beams in my daily life, I gotta say. Uh, That's what I'm saying, man. Remember those? Remember tractor beams. Of course. The assembled outlaws hold a war council and make plans. They plan to head to Jock's Landing to investigate the frame-up of Johnny. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the doghouse, Norman King sends... Um, troops out to catch them, and his trash, including the dead body of the Gronk, is taken away. Oh my god, he's going down the garbage chute, yeah. grabs a thing with his nose. Yeah, he once again comes... another heart 
attack. <laughs> yeah, he comes to life uh, on the conveyor belt to the uh, recycling plant. Yeah, like and, and and reflexively in his death throes, grabs a handle with his nose to avoid for falling further as he once again dies. <laughs> Just so many heart attacks. I I can't wait till these stories link up. Because... Definitely. Um, this is very funny. Yeah, arriving in the AUG system, the outlaws are hailed by an interceptor craft and have to take ev- evasive action. Johnny and Middenface prepare to make a landfall, leaving Wolf behind to recover from his gunshot wound. So, Johnny and Middenface arrive in the AUG system, and they uh, land on the shore of this Scottish planet, and things get just super Scottish all of a sudden. Oh, oh. my god. And apparently all Scotsmen know each other, and also Scotsmen are the coolest humans, because they don't uh, get real racial with mutants. Ahoy, Jimmy! Yes. May your kilt never wilt! Oh my, that was my favorite. I do want that to just be a sign-off I give people. Do it. Yeah. They uh, they trade their escape pod for a punt boat and arrive at, J- at a jock's landing. Everybody on the planet loves Middenface, and so they're quickly able to get a bunch <laughs> of... knows him. Yeah, everybody, yeah, they know and love him. He's the top Scott. Um, they get all the, like, city fathers assembled to discuss the murder at the fish supper. Everybody says it was Johnny Alpha that that done did it, but none of them actually recognize Johnny Alpha sitting at the table with them. Um, because and of so, of course, he's just like, hey, man. Yeah. Stop. What's going on here? Stop lying. Um, and so the fathers admit that, yeah, it was those Sticks brothers. Meanwhile, a wee bairn runs home to tell the Sticks about this, because they've taken his parents hostage, and he tells them that, that Johnny's there, so the trap sprung Alphazars. <laughs> Dude, that Sticks brothers look real gross. They're real evil, like man. Yeah, they got cool hats. They got a cool willingness to hurt people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the big takeaway from this if if you're gonna yeah. be cool you might as well uh threaten like 50 fishwives. i mean if you're gonna be cool in an evil way absolutely yeah so at the fish gutting plant at lock at jock's landing where the um the uh the ladies of the settlement are attacked by the sticks brothers they send them to the they said one of the ladies to the council with a message which is johnny is to give himself up or all the ladies are dead Specifically on this page, and this is one of the few times that I've caught art weirdness, um, it's like the second page in on this, one of the fishwives has really doofy eyes, like someone threw <laughs> it upside down or something. Yeah. It's just, it's really strange. It's, it's an upside down eyeball. Weird. Uh, yeah, look for it. I mean, I guess if you have the Brock. <laughs> I'll put it up there. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to post the art. I've been falling down that, but I'll do better. Um, so Johnny agrees to give himself up because enough innocents have, here have suffered because of him. He demands answers of the sticks, but don't get them. Instead, they just buffalo him upside the head by one of the, with their gun barrels. And, is, and, and he's knocked out. Him alive, right? Yep. Middenface goes to attack, but he gets shot in the chest. Middenface, no! I, I stood up, actually, when this happened, because I got real mad. I'm like, don't, no one's killing Middenface. That's right. Yeah, the sticks are all about the money, oh. not revenge, and they drag the unconscious Alpha back to their ship. When they go, it turns out that Middenface is still alive. Woo! Because yeah. the city fathers do that, do the thing I always tell, I'm always telling people to do in movies, which is like, yeah, like, just like say the person's dead or just like pr- pretend to be dead. You know, it'll be fine. Just wait till they leave. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, anyhow, <laughs> the sticks is blast off, taking Johnny Alpha back to the tender embrace of his father, the evil hate monger, <laughs> Nelson Bunker Creelman. 
a tender embrace. That's right. Uh, next time, dog collared. I'd really like it if the twist were that while he keeps saying he definitely wants to kill his son, really he just secretly wants to uh, hold him in his arms and, and throw the pigskin around, but he doesn't want anyone to know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a parody for the cats in the cradle now. You know. <laughs> <laughs> The cat's in the cradle in the mutant gulag. <laughs> oh Anyhow. Um, but, yeah, fun stuff, man. Some good action, good explosions, and then just, like, good aliens or a good, like, uh, Scottish stuff. Fun entry in Strontium Dog this month. This month, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real funny and one that's been sort of grim and or just kind of action-y recently. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a yeah. lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, like, the whole time it just keeps... Uh, running. It like, yeah. doesn't try, like, and this is something I think we've uh, talked about with Strontium Dog, where I feel like, say, a rogue trooper is a bit more sluggish. Like, Strontium Dog just runs. Yeah, well, I and mean. It just keeps going, and a lot of things happen per, uh, per episode, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the difference between an episodic story like Rogue Trooper and something that's really just built to be sort of like one storyline and then they're out, which is mm-hmm. what we've seen Strontium Dog be. You know, there's not like, that's like there's definitely some, but especially since they came back in like 335 or so, like these Strontium Dog stories have definitely been like, hey, like we're going to come in, we're going to have like a 10 prog story and then we're going to be out for a little bit and then we're going to come back in and do that as opposed to just kind of like, all right, like, you know, We'll have some, let's have some one shots. Let's have like some two or three prog stories, stuff like that, that sort of can slow things down. So you're saying that they're, they're kind of these, these, this group of guys that swoop in, uh, just wreck havoc and then swoop back out only to come back at a later time, like just wrecking havoc. Look at this guy trying to steal my thunder. Let's go to thrill to Judge Dredd. Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant as T.B. Grover. Art robots Steve Dillon, Kim Raymond, and Ron Smith letting her about Tom Frame. So yeah, like Fox was saying, <laughs> in, Dread, in, in Dread we talked about some great action with Steve Dillon drawing a section of Mega City 1 Highway constantly under attack by gangs of wreckers. People who drop something in and then like steal all your stuff and maybe your car and things like that as you drive through this any, big tunnel. Any group of thugs that... Um decides to attack with a, a what I call a comedy mallet. You know? Yeah. No, they definitely <laughs> use a lot of like mallets and wrenches and other sort of like found tools and stuff like that. Uh, because the highway is constantly under atta- under attack by the wreckers, you're supposed to like stay going at like 250 kilometers at all time. Times keep your windows closed, don't stop, etc. Um, we see them drop the, the, the wreckers drop a flaming car on top of some com- commuters and then just like run in and like start like, you know, like ripping necklaces off ladies' necks and taking all their money and stuff like that. Um, Fashion windows and making people real sad. Yeah, real sad, real scared. Um, they're doing everything, and then a few judges get called, including our buddy Judge Dredd. Uh, they take some of the of the wreckers out, but the rest just kind of fade into the tunnels and sort of just into Mega City One and disappear. Um, it's a constant problem in Sector Twenty Seven, and Chief Magruder's tired of it. Dredd is given a hundred judges and forty eight hours to clean them out. I, I love it. <laughs> it's just like, uh, 
here's overkill. Now deal with the problem. Consider him cleaned. He's <laughs> gonna give him a bubble bath. Yeah, deep in a bubble bath of bullets. Deep oh in sector God. twenty-seven, <laughs> we see just a, a random wrecker, Joe Gibbs. No relation to the football coach. Uh, he's heading out with a bunch of other mass wreckers to take down more commuters. They go into action when suddenly the judges start responding. Dozens of them swarming several attack by uh, attack sites, taking the wreckers down in mass. Even the perps that escape are then caught by immediate house to house searches to find oh, them. Dude, that is, was great. He just like ducks into his house, closes his door. Immediately, the door gets kicked. In. Door gets kicked in, but it's just what's that blood on your collar? You're coming with us. Yeah, dude. <laughs> It's real cool. Over the next 48 hours, Dredd cracks down hard on the Wreckers, but even he knows that this is only a temporary fix. Soon the Wreckers will be back in, at Sector 27. It's the circle of crime. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Made that one up. Feeling pretty good about it. Um, That's really good. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Next up, uh, Kim Raymond takes over on art as the Joseph Sopper block. Which I think is a fake name because I looked up Joseph Sopper and all I got S O P E R and literally all I got were uh, obituaries and uh, oh. memorial sites for dead dudes named Joseph Sopper. Well, I mean that's kind of fitting. Yeah, super ironic. Yeah, it's his hundredth birthday and he's the plastic magnate. Oh, sorry, at the block, they're celebrating the 100th birthday of plastic magnate C.J. Rexel. There's a cool blimp made out of, like, their uh, plastic wrap floating over them. A until polypropylop? Yeah. Until someone shoots it with an uh, incendiary bullet and the whole thing is com- uh, comes crashing down on them. It, it kill- just melts over everything. It kills everyone in, in attendance. Those that aren't burned alive by the molten plastic are instead suffocated by it as it shrink wraps them to death. Oh, it's 325 <laughs> degrees centigrade. It's pretty horrifying. Uh, Dred's investigating. He's looking for for the baddie in all the nearby blocks. Uh, the Stephen Bell block, which who is a Canadian. Musician, the uh, Genghis Grimsnode block, which I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah. The Mike McGahee block, which who, who who was a Scottish miners leader. The Uthant block, who was a Burmese diplomat and one time UN Secretary General, and the Juliet Bravo block, which who was the main character of a, an eponymous British uh, detective show. You know, uh, okay. Juliet Bravo. She's a cop. <laughs> <laughs> Searches are searches are carried out all over, like for at uh, known criminals. They find the usual guys, including I thought this was pretty funny a uh, a block activist who just has a like under his floor panel has a whole bunch of pamphlets about just block hate. And there's a whole pamphlet that just says hate on it. Yeah, That's like it. it's real, just like hey, like you know the people that aren't in that are in a block hate those guys, hate everybody else, hate hate hate. <laughs> Yeah, it's real impressive. Yeah, it's pretty good. They just sort of arrest a ton of people for everything from sugar possession to conspiracy to overthrow the government of of Luna One. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. With no suspects found, dread plans for even more thorough searches, complete with a complete lockdown curfews of 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 all five blocks. Eventually, the Collingswells show up and turn on their neighbor, Mr. Guevara, and they, and they say that he is the shooter, and the Dread investigates finding him feeding his gun into the garbage grinder. You know. Well, it's a little 
damn yeah, thing. Yeah, he, he immediately confesses, I hated that balloon hanging up there like some kind of balloon or something. I showed them. <laughs> so strange. He's just a crazy, dissatisfied guy. He gets 30 years in the cubes. And Dread, not being a dummy, also investigates the homes of the, co- the, the apartment of the Collingswells because they didn't finger Guevara until the, until the, the heavy searches started. So they must be hiding something. And indeed, they are massive shoplifters and have a king's ransom of uh, stolen goods in their apartment. So they get sent to jail as well. <laughs> I'm just impressed they stole so much. Like It's like microwaves and TVs and shit. And like racks of clothing. Like Presumably they had to steal the yeah. racks as well. <laughs> oh, that's great. All told, 1,365 arrests were made in the course of this investigation. All right. <laughs> nice job, Justice Department. Hey. Needs more ISO cubes. Always need more ISO cubes. Uh, so finally, Ron Smith. Oh, speaking of ISO cubes, Ron Smith takes over on art for the start of this kind of fun summertime story. Mean Machine Angel Fox. You remember him? Oh yeah, he's that he's that nice guy that when he turns the dial on his head, he gives people like really generous hugs. Yeah, he's got the dial on his head. What goes up to four, and what makes him a uh, headbutt? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, he's got a visitor in the ISO cubes. It's Judge Dread, buddy. But as Mean goes to attack him, Dread's, Dread changes shape in a very early version of a hand-drawn morphing and oh. becomes Mean Machine's father, Pa Angel. What? Terrific and in real color. Totally. We get a recap of how Dread is directly or indirectly responsible for the deaths of all the angels, including Mean Machine Angel himself, until he was brought back to life by the Judge Child. <laughs> oh my god. That's always my favorite part of that Destiny's Angels stories we have, where um, Fink is telling Mean that like they gotta kill Dread a certain way to get revenge for, uh, for like Junior and Pa, and... <laughs> Means like, hey, you killed me too. I should get a hand. I should get a say in this. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Link Angel, of course, was killed by Mean Machine Angel when Dread set his means dial to four and a half. Anyhow, um, <laughs> so Dread needs a guide into the Radlands, and Mean is the best person to do it. After some quick brain surgery, Mean will now hallucinate and see... Yeah, they put it in, they like drill into his head a little bit. Uh, but now he'll see Dread as his father, Pa Angel, at least for a while. Um, so I was just saying, Fox, that I really like how... Um, Dread comes in with all these explanations about like why um you know Pa's alive and how he's gonna and how he's come to 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 break Mean out and Mean Machine's just like yeah no of course like you don't have to explain that stuff to me <laughs> like I came no, back man. from the dead <laughs> he's he's a crazy sociopath he doesn't need no explanation that's right like yeah people come back from the dead whatever <laughs> I did steal it. some shit yeah kill some people <laughs> exactly I just imagine Dread like having this whole like all these like prepared remarks <laughs> he had to say just like throwing over his shoulder or like whatever um i mean he had a whole story about a thing going down and getting uh, liberace's well that's older yeah I'm, i mean that's what the plan is right so basically pause pause says that um he's here because a hover freighter was shot down north of texas city and it contains priceless relics namely the treasures of liberace's tomb <laughs> just including his dazzling bejeweled mask yeah it's just so funny um it's clearly like the treasures of King Tut's too, but instead it's Liberace. Do you know who Liberace is, Fox? Uh, I know he is maybe a musician. Yeah, 
Yeah, he was like a pianist. He was just like super like gaudy and stuff like that. Um, you know, a lot of like can like a you know like someone wearing like a a suit covered in sequins on like a huge white grand piano with a giant like golden candelabra on it is sort of your oh, archetypal that's really excellent Liberace stuff. You know, he's like there's a there's that Michael Douglas movie with where like that sort of talked about his like personal life and how he like had like um a boyfriend who he made have plastic surgery to look like himself when he was a young man and stuff like that oh what the fuck it's got a lot of weird like weird hollywood excess stuff in the early um from long ago and i'd say like Um, his oh go ahead i'm looking at pictures of this dude and i am loving his jackets yeah listen man like (laughs) there's a like he sort of is this like definition of like camp and stuff like that that sort of really sets the stage for a lot of sort of more modern like i don't know like 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 drag queen stuff or anything like that you know what i mean wow but he's also just golden robes and fluffy shit and pink (laughs) pink suits with a giant explosive uh vampire right like popped collar yeah yeah and so but it was funny because i'd feel like his musical stylings are of the kind of like that of, are in the same area that like michael buble holds nowadays it's very mm. much like sort of like like a mom music is what i want to say <laughs> like, okay that's pretty fair like the kind of music that like your mom or your grandma really likes you know what i mean um hey. Yeah, Whatever I don't makes it cash. Yeah, I don't I don't I call fine on no one. Um I just think it's really funny and he's the, just the perfect guy to be like a 20th century person that would have a tomb full of massive amounts of treasure. <laughs> I mean a- anyone who was on the Muppet show as of 1978 uh, is great in my book. For sure. So they're going to go do that and that's going to be good times. Um but awesome. we get a flashback and we learn that also aboard that ship was a delivery of judge clones headed to Texas City to help improve their genetic stock. It's Man. pretty cool. It's, it's clones of Judge Fargo, who I believe is also what a lot of Dredd's genes are based on. Uh, Father of Justice. That's right. Judge Goodman, who was the chief judge. We, who, who The guy who was the chief judge when we started covering Judge Dredd and got killed by Judge Cal and stuff like that. Awesome. And then uh, Judge Hansar, who's a lady, Judge Rubens, and Judge Mandela, the five uh, big names in the history of of, uh, of the Justice Department. The clones are these uh, basically babies in utero in Walter-esque robot wombs. Uh, great. I mean, they're already just better than Walter because it looks like they don't talk and they're just for babies. Also, That's- why would you have a baby screen like a glass, like don't you want it to not? No, you so so you can look in and see what's going on in there, man. I guess, but I think like babies can't get their you know fetuses can't get exposed to light like that. I mean, I think if you skin, I'm sure if you polarize the glass and stuff, it's fine. That's fair. <laughs> it's just a giant sunglass. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I am not a future geneticist. I'd so. imagine that that they definitely want to be able to look in to make sure that it's like it's not like uh, in Futurama where the professor's clone's nose was or his, his clone's pre- was in a jar that was too small, so his nose gets all messed up because it's just pressed against the glass for too long. <laughs> I mean, that's why he got iPads. Fair know? enough. Yeah. Well, anyhow, he's got to find these clones, buddy. We got to bring them back because if they fell into criminal hands, it would be an abomination. Oh. Get those clones back next time. Travels with the maniac, and so I'm dread. Excited. Yeah, dread and mean hang out, and it's like, all right, which one of these guys is tougher? You know. 
Oh my God! No, they. Uh, uh, it said it at the end. It's like, yeah. how can you tell which one's more mean? Right, that's like, what it yeah, is. You don't. Yeah, no, they're pretty close. You don't. It's good. Um, yeah, man, good times. Start of a storyline here. Meanwhile, let's finish up a storyline in Thrill Three Rogue Trooper. Hooray! You were totally right, and it's the same as always. I mean. I know what's going to happen ahead of time, so like when I call, it's not that big a deal. But I think you you did call it pretty well. All this stuff is just like a tre- treachery and stuff like that. Um, uh, so script robot for Rogue Trooper Jerry Finley Day, art robot Cam Kennedy, letting robot Bill Nuttall. Um, so Rogue Trooper and Captain Coogan are infiltrating the Neverglades, a hellish swamp where a bunch of Nort brass are having a big summit, and they're going to go, go destroy it. But before the final assault, Coogan asks Rogue to give him the fallen captain's dog tags. There's two of them. Uh, Rogue drops them accidentally, and Bagman catches them with his robot hand. Um, and the two of them split up and infiltrate the base. As they close in, Rogue sees a bunch of native birds fly into a, a nearby invisible deadly force shield. Horrible. A, yeah, a uh, patrol boat goes to investigate, and that's when Rogue learns the truth that they aren't Norts, they're Southers. They've been brought in to be, that he's been brought in to be part of a coup. And it gets mm. worse because Coogan has given himself up to South of Patrol and is saying that Rogue is here to assassinate the Chiefs of Staff. Oh, geez. Uh, God, don't worry. He doesn't have any weapons, so he can't possibly be a bad guy. That's right. Rogue listens in on the South of Radio Waves to learn of Coogan's betrayal. The captain hands over his dog tags as proof and is scanned to be otherwise weaponless. He warns about Rogue coming after him, and the Southard troops he's talking to look for Rogue, but are suddenly hit by a deadly beam weapon. It actually takes out, like, five guys that are standing in a line at once, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, which I guess, like, you could just make Dog Tag shoot a super beam. Yeah, That's yeah fine. hold on, man. <laughs> oh, sorry. The, the, yes, yeah, so the danger's proven, and Coogan is taken into the meeting of the Southard Brass. South patrols are going after Rogue, shooting to kill. Rogue investigates the bodies and finds that the danger is, like like you said, in the captain's dog tags, because if you put three of them together, there's like a little, like, lens in all of them. And I guess <laughs> if you... camera. Yeah, if you line up that lens in three ways, it becomes a deadly, like, laser beam weapon. Yeah. Any, yeah, fair enough, I guess. Um, it doesn't really matter who runs Millicom to Rogue, like he's a rogue no matter what, but he yeah. do- he refuses to be anybody's patsy, and so he pretends to be a corpse to be brought into the Souther base to take down Coogan himself. Mm. Rogue sneaks into the, into the Souther summit again by playing dead, and then and then uh, GI Joe the movieing into the uh, into oh. the swamp swamp military stronghold. You're great. Yeah, that's because G.I. Joe the movie's really good. Yeah, the cartoon movie, I hasten to say. Um, yes. <laughs> with Don Johnson. But yeah, man, they like infiltrate that swamp base and stuff, and that's very much what, what Rogue's doing here. <laughs> Coogan is brought to the generals, and I like that that, that, that that there's an alien general in here, and he starts basically um, wiping them out with his dog tag laser thing. <laughs> Shoots one, great. starts to shoot the other one. Rogue steps in and gets Coogan to admit the conspiracy, and that Coogan killed the other captains to keep them quiet. He reveals his plan, which is basically they're going to destroy New Earth completely, and that its destruction will fire up South of Morale all over the galaxy to help them win the war against the Norts. Which I guess is not just here that it's happening. No, which... I, yeah, it's galaxy wide. Uh, in later Rogue Trooper stories, we're going to see sort of the uh, the battle between the Southers and Norts played out on other planets as well. Okay, yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Coogan attacks Rogue, but the GI is able to reflect his beam with a mirror, disarming him. Mm-hmm. Coogan escapes, and word comes in a large force is approaching the base. It's the rest of the captains come to finish the job, and the force field just went down. I um, guess we're going to have to deal with this in this giant bunkers that we have a ton of military personnel inside of. Yeah, and rapid responding reinforcements. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, the captain's army is attacking, and Coogan has stolen Gunner. Rogue starts fighting with whatever he has at hand, including one of those like life buoy ring things. He just throws that into somebody's chest and kills him, which is pretty right, awesome. Right. Yeah, Reinforcements swiftly arrive, though, on these cool planes that turn into boats, and the rebels are that. routed. Yeah, but uh, this is a, but Coogan manages to take a hostage and escape into the glades. Rogue follows on his own, picking up dog tags that apparently Coogan is leaving behind because he doesn't need them anymore, I guess. Um, Coogan attacks Rogue using Gunner, knowing that the only weapons Rogue has at this point are grenades, and he doesn't want to destroy Gunner again. Um, I mean, well, he could have also just picked up all those chips that you left behind for him, or whatever, right? Like. I mean, plus, like, I feel like Rogue also, like, I believe he's got, like, a knife. Like, he used a machete previously. He could use that. Um, he's th- also a genetic infantryman. He is technically a living weapon. <laughs> I think he's still got the, uh, the pistol, like, the, the GI pistol that uh, Major Magnum oh, yeah. was in previously and stuff. He's yeah. got a, he does have options, but in the end, he uses the dog tags to take the captain out, ho- uh, hoisting him on his own petard, as it were. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, whatever, man, um, the coup's over and the generals pull out, not even stopping to say, like, hey, thanks for not letting us get killed, Rogue. Whatever. <laughs> on the you try to bury your mistakes. That's right. On the nightly news, the generals are lauded for fighting just like regular troops, and there's no mention of either, Ro- of, uh, of either Coogan's tre- treason or Rogue's assistance. Whatever. Let's walk the land. Next time, just routine. I wonder if... Rogue Trooper is going to get betrayed again at some point. Um, I mean, we're actually getting pretty close to the end of Rogue Trooper, so I'm not sure how many treacheries there are left. Probably only more, no more than four, than five or six times between now and then. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I don't know. That's not an accurate number. I don't know how many it is. Um, it, and it's like the end end Rogue Trooper, or is it not the end end? Rogue it is Trooper? not the end end of Rogue Trooper. Um, okay. Yeah, he'll get the Trader General, I'll spoil you to let you know that he'll get the the Trader General later in 1984, and he'll be back in 1985 for a whole new story. Sweet. All right, I'm into that. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Speaking of things that I'm slightly dreading, it's non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. So we start with uh, Prog 334, This is the Law. Robin Smith draws Dredd shooting his way into Sector 27 with the Wreckers. In, oh, this is the law. Yeah, in the nerve center, overexposed Tharg refu- uh, refuses to run for political office. There's a pi- <laughs> and there's a picture of Long Judge Silver and letters question Tharg's superiority. A letter. Uh, an- another reader notices some li- some similarities between 2000 AD characters in various stores and snacks. And a kid claims to have read 2000 AD in an airplane, which is not fair for reading 2000 AD in the highest elevation. Because you didn't, like, climb a mountain to read that, buddy. You just, like, existed in an airplane. Come on, man. That any Anyone with, I guess, some scratch can do that. That's right. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> Mid-prog, we get some more uh, Tharg picks. 
and it declares the end of the golden age because the rewards are going down to five pounds. And this is the close of um, the series that that, that that we ran with a ton for the last couple weeks, which mm-hmm. have been these sort of double-paged um, sections of, um, you know, reader art and stuff. My um, favorite is uh, Tharg the Fig Biscuit. Ooh, that's my favorite too. There's also uh, Tharg the Barbarian, Tharg the Telephone, Tharg the Fearsome, and Tharg the Young One, reference to the TV show, of course. But yes, indeed, yep. Tharg the Fig Biscuit is the best one. Or Thig mm-hmm. Newt, or Fig Newton, as we call them here in, the, in, in America. Um, Correct. <laughs> So this prog ends with a great pinup uh, for Halo Jones, complete with the headshots of Halo, Rodice, and Brenna. Yeah, Halo looking real cool in her jacket. I like that. Absolutely. Uh, prog 375, reckon you could survive in Mega City 1? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny because the, the, the color for this one seems to be recycled from an image from prog, from, 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 the, from the prog before this one of mm. uh, wreckers breaking into somebody's car and like stealing a lady's necklace and stuff. Yeah. Um, in the nerve center, Tharg was, says he's, he was just at Wimbledon, and it reminds him of space tennis. In the nerve center, there's a picture of drumsticks, RRR from uh, Strontium Dog. Yeah. Then there's a whole ton of letters yelling about Tharg's for different stuff, and a request for a slain novel, which we will get, but not until 2006, written by Stephen Saddle. Um, yeah, we're also starting to see ads for free comics from KP Skips Crisps. Yeah, uh, this promotion will run into difficulty in the coming weeks. Really? <laughs> well, yeah, just because we're on the edge of this massive strike that's going to make there be no comics coming out, and there's no way to take part in this uh, in this con- in, in this uh, promotion for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i should say also that i've e- i've recently had some kp skips the uh the uh, scampi flavor and i would describe their taste as intriguing <laughs> <laughs> very diplomatic well like it's called fizzy and it's weird because it's like i don't really eat a lot of like like a lot of, like it's different than a lot of like the corn stuff that we have here in the states mm. where like if you basically if you hold a skip like on your tongue like like between the tongue, your tongue and the roof of your mouth, it will basically just dissolve into like paste or something, oh, <laughs> which is kind go. of an un- unusual thing. Hmm. Yeah, That's it's it, it's fun. I don't know, um, but whatever. I can pick up a bag of skips. Yeah, I think I can probably find one. Yeah, this ad, this this prog has like four KP skips ads. Uh, yeah, Jesus. about the, in, including a full color ad for this comics promotion, though. On one on one page, there's a half ad for KP Skips in a movie called BMX Bandits, which mm. is a super schlocky Australian exploitation movie, which I think you would be a fan of, Fox. Oh, really? Um, I saw I see I see some trailers and it's pretty awesome. It's like Nicole Kidman's second uh, acting role. What? <laughs> and BMX what? Bandits. And Bandits. if you go on YouTube, I think the first video for it is um, oh, is Nicole God. Kidman doing some BMX stunts, and it could not be more obviously a stunt double doing BMX stuff. It's uh, pretty just amazing. The poster alone is something I want to own. Absolutely, yes, it's it's real, real good 1984 stuff. <laughs> this, this is so great. Yeah, this frog ends with half of a cool DR and Quinch pinup poster, them versus the rest of the universe. This half is the boys serving, and Polger is on ref duty as Quinch's mom watches from the stands. Eating a giant bowl of yellow. Yeah, duck. just alien stuff. Uh, Prog <laughs> 376. 
Where did she go? Out. What did she do? Everything. Halo Jones starts here with one of the most recognizable covers in 2080 history, drawn by Ian Gibson. Um, and I'm I'm so excited to get yeah, into this. Pretty, I, I am too. In the nerve center, Tharg the snappy dresser talks up Halo. There's a picture of the aptly uh, or of the uh, apely Judge Judge Dave, the uh, yeah. orangutan judge. <laughs> There's a Kiwi complaining about how long it takes for 2080 to come to New Zealand. Three months, which is ridiculous. Shout out wow. to, our, to Where Eagles Dare, of course, our uh, Kiwi buddies. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. Um, there's also there's letters from a soldier in the Falklands and a request for DR and Quinch merch, man. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I'd be into that. I would be into just like anything they wear as something I would want to wear. <laughs> Mid-Prog, there's a Judge Dread quiz special. 15 questions about Dread lore, though pretty much all of it is from the last year or so. I think the oldest thing is about the uh, the uh, the graveyard shift. Um yeah. This prog has more reader profiles, and it's interesting to me because it's all like 14 to 16 year olds who started at prog 140 at the earliest. So it's all sort of like fairly more recent and older mm. readers of the prog, which is kind of cool, I think. Um, yeah, man. Shout out to Harlem Heroes. Yeah. I'm being uh, readers all time favorite, uh, followed by Flesh and Strontium Dog Strong Agree. Yeah, it's, but it's funny because Harlem Heroes ended way before this guy started reading the comics. So you much only know it like from annuals and stuff or maybe buying back oh, issues. Interesting. So it's sort of an interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, the prog ends with. The other half of the DR and Quinch poster, as we see that the boys have served a grenade up at alien tennis players, as the few survive, as, as a big pile of dead guys, as the few survivors pray for mercy, as Crazy Christie holds a gun on them. Nice! <laughs> Dude. Then at Prog 377, Dreaded Mean Machine are partners in crime. Ron Smith draws the most titanic team up of all time. Wee doggy! <laughs> So Fox, Prog, it's Prog 377. Um, I want you to look at if you can, if you can, if you if you look at Prog 376, you'll see that it's July 7th, 1984. Mm-hmm. Prog 337 is for August 1984. Um, oh, because there was a massive strike in between these two comics um, that. So it was basically between the people who make the comics and and uh, and and the and the you know IPC brass and all that stuff. There was a huge work slowdown, and then everybody was fired basically while um, making oh labor God. demands and stuff. It meant it's that, like a whole month. Yes, yeah, so they lost a whole month, and that's why I like the KC skips like thing. We're gonna see an a uh, an, an ad for, or a uh, an apology for it. I think next prog where they basically say like, hey, like you know. No one got enough um, UPC codes or whatever, or like you know, like things from comics to to m- make use of this because no one was making comics for a month. Essentially, uh, <laughs> wow. it's a it's a huge deal in like me in like uh, the in, in the comics industry. It led to the cancellation of a whole bunch of comics, most notably the horror comic Scream, but also a bunch of girl comics and stuff like that. Oh, um, there's a really funny part in the Thrill Power overload book where this um studio guy kind of says like ah 
I wish I'd canceled 2000 AD when I had a chance. You know, it was in my Whoa. hands, but then I let it go. You know, <laughs> like it's this big regret that he has that he could that he didn't use this labor dispute to uh, cancel 2000 AD what a, and stuff. What a horrible thing for someone to say. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, but it's just an interesting thing and definitely like a big thing to cast a Paul over 1984, especially. There's all this great stuff coming out. But, you know, like... I was theorizing last episode that all the future shocks and stuff in this sort of gap might have been because part of sort of a pseudo work slowdown in advance of the strike. And mm. then they lost this whole month of just like, no, we aren't putting anything out there because of it and stuff like that. Damn. You know. Rough. Yeah, soon after this, uh, Margaret Thatcher's government put a stop to future strikes and labor was sort of crushed, essentially, which is a bummer. Um, <laughs> and Hooray. sort of takes us to the situation we have now and stuff. But just a little slice of life and explanation about like sort of why there's this month missing in um, 2080. You're getting your real life in my thrill power. Yeah, you're getting my th- your thrill power in my real life, buddy. That's what I say. Okay, that's cool. That's pretty fair. <laughs> In the nerve center, Tharg the Warped mentions this new Dread story and also that there's an ace trucking dictionary this prog. There's a picture accusing Slaufeg of wearing a chest wig and questions about the torso and other mutants, requests for people to buy their own comics, and complaints about the use of the term earthlet. Uh, okay. Yeah, whatever. Midprog, there's a great pinup of Polger from DR and Quinch, complete with yes. dress and rifle made of soap. Uh, it's not the uniform, it's the man in the uniform, is the old That's Space Marine saying. <laughs> Towards the end of the prog, also, there is the aforementioned Space Trucker's Dictionary, ahead of Ace Garp's return next episode. By yeah. f- by far my Ooh. favorite uh, term in this dictionary is Hootenheck, which translates to Hootenheck. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep it simple. Great, yeah. man. I love it. Yeah, and speaking of um, futuristic adventures, although maybe ones we're looking forward to a bit less, it's oh. Thrill 4 Future Shocks. Oh. Yeah, still first two progs at a whole ton of Future Shocks. I think two or three per prog. Um, we're, as we're slowly adding it, adding thrills back in, these are, these are reducing, but for right now it's still rough times. I have never been happier for uh, the ballad of Halo Jones, not knowing anything about it than the fact that thank you so much for doing what you did, though you may never know it. Existing, indeed. (laughs) So first, it's the contract. Script robot Chris Louder is Jack Adrian. Our robot Massimo Bellardinelli. Letting robot Clive Clive McGee. Um, A very Clint Eastwood-looking businessman misses his train and is offered a time travel watch by a pointy-haired old dude signing the purchase contract in blood. After making making your standard time travel-based fortune, the old guy shows up to reclaim the watch and the man's soul, of course, because he's the devil. The man tries to welch on the deal by going back in time before he got the watch, but that just restarts the whole dang situation. You're in an endless loop, and and you're the devil's plaything. Bam, bam, bam. Um, Anyhow. (laughs) Next. Next, the ghost outside the machine. Script robot Peter Milligan. Art robot Jose Casanovas. Letting robot Tony Jacob. It has nothing to do with the idea of the ghost in the machine anyway yeah i mean it's much more literal than that um conrad yeah. with a k and dutch are space truckers with a cargo full of frenium but dutch gets greedy and kills conrad when conrad goes for a spacewalk leaving his body in deep space boo 
don't kill Conrads. Uh, I know, man. <laughs> There's only so many Conrads in this yeah. universe. Dutch continues his journey, but starts hearing noises and even sees Conrad's dead body at the window of a ship. Eventually, a police ship flies by and Dutch admits the whole murder to them. The police investigate and find that Dutch's ship has been dragging Conrad's body attached to it by like a spacesuit rope the whole time. Oh no! So he was the ghost outside the machine because literally the dead body of Conrad was outside the spaceship freaking Dutch out. You know, it's the ghost yeah, outside of the like machine. tapping on it, which is weird because yep. like he would have had to slow down for that to work that way. Yep. Don't think Whatever. about it too much. Yep. All right. Okay. <laughs> Next up, uh, you win some, you lose some. Script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Steve Potter, the evil garage, a bunch of aliens in bird of praise from Star Trek style spaceships are attacking Pretty Earth. Much. Earth's losing. To use their most powerful weapons, the Earth Council resolves to hide the Earth. They'll relocate to someplace safe, beat the evil garage without having to worry about the planet's safety because of their deadly new weapons, and then bring it back. Only one man, General Bull, will know the location of Earth so it can be returned. Bull's sent off to safety. When the war is over, he is returned. But as he enters the coordinates, he suddenly dies of heart failure. We've lost Earth forever. Aw, oh, jeez. I guess we should have written it down. You'd think you could just write it down, but I guess not. Yeah, Anyhow, yeah. Next up, The Possessed. Script robot Peter Milligan, art robot Trevor Goring, letting robot Tony Jacob. I like this one a lot, actually. It's very dark and moody. Um, Trevor Goring's art's mm. really good. There's a mysterious shape-changing... But the story is pretty simple, even still. Um, there, yeah. There's a mysterious shape-changing alien that swiftly impersonates and murders the ship's crew one by one until the final survivor is the ship's captain and clearly the alien himself. This one's been reprinted a lot, including in the uh, Best of Future Shocks. It's very fun, just sort of like a moody horror story. Yep. It's yeah. uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers as done by spaceships. Basically. Next up, it's a bad timing. Script about Peter Milligan. Art about Massimo Bellardinelli. Oh, God. Let about Steve so Potter. Weird. This one's dumb. Uh, mad scientist Ethroid Coops is unveiling a cryogenic freezing method, and it's completely unattended thanks to that no good Angus Fosdyke. Fosdyke takes notes about it anyway, and in true mad scientist fashion, Coop uses his device on himself, freezing yeah. himself for 15 years. He wakes up in 1999, unaware that the basement he froze himself in has been cemented over by the building of Fosdyke Industries. Mm -hmm. um, in a standard sort of when all you have is a hammer, the world looks like a nail kind of situation, all Coop has is a freezer, and so he decides to freeze his way out of this situation. He freezes himself for 20 years, and then 40 years. At mm. last, the building above him has been demolished. And so he goes to the Royal Scientific Institute to prove that his device, the cryo chamber, uh, works, only to learn that the cryo chamber was patented in 1988 by that no good Fosdyke. I mean, at that point, I would just cryo myself again and like wake up whenever someone wakes me up. That's right. Yep. Wake him up inside. I can't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah getting real 20th century here um <laughs> gotta, next, gotta do what i know man that's right it's in essence indeed uh next up it's big game hunters script robot alan hebden art robot tony o'donnell oh, man we've seen this yeah letter robot steve potter this is tony o'donnell's only 2000 ad work and it's fine i guess um yep your standard future shock stuff a dude goes on vacation to a planet where you hunt all kinds of crazy animals 
The planet's split to various zones for different guests. The aliens are the humans are actually sent to an alien zone where they themselves are hunted and killed by alien hunters. We're too late to save them, but at least the aliens enjoyed themselves. Oh, you think you're so tough, but you're just a prey to an even bigger animal. Bam, bam, bam. Um, I love how these humans fly by and they're like, oh, well, at least like we made our money. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like you're going to have a lot of like legal troubles from this, but that's fine. Nah, it's on another planet, so there's limited evidentiary standing between them for uh, lawsuits and stuff. Um, anyhow, oh <laughs> final future shock is uh, Doing Time. Script robot Alan Hebden, art robot John Ridgway, letter robot Steve Potter. This is the first time we're seeing art by John Ridgway, who will go on to do, um, do a bunch of stuff as the years goes by in 2000 AD. He'll be the uh, main artist for Dead Man, Junker, and three of the Luke Kirby adventures, which we'll see later. He also okay. was the initial artist and uh, enlisted as the co-creator for uh, Hellblazer, the uh, the John Constantine stories in uh, DC and stuff. Oh, cool. So he's done a lot of stuff for that. He's got a very nice, I'd say, realistic art style. Mm -hmm. And that serves this story pretty well, though it's also not really a very in-depth one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the Midwest town of Danville, different from the California town of Dan Danville, where I went to high school, um, is wow. wiped out by some unknown force. 50 years later, Professor Martin used, uh, has built a time machine to go back and figure out what happened, but it turns out that using the time machine is what destroyed the town in the first place, and now, and it not only destroys old Danville, but also destroys new Danville, which was rebuilt on top of the old city. He's arrested as the world's first time criminal for killing all those people with his time machine. Man, I may, I, I love the words time crime. Time crime. Good rhyming, good criming. Anyhow, um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Wow, I don't even know what's going on now. Um, That's just <laughs> blew it, myself it was away. Fantastic for what yeah, it was. Pretty good. All right. Hey, speaking of pretty good, Fox. Oh yeah, and pretty. Yeah, it's Thrill Five: The Ballad of Halo Jones. So we're completely assaulted immediately by a bunch of words and ideas we don't understand. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So script robot Alan Moore, art robot Ian Gibson, letting robot Steve Potter. Um, yeah, I want to like. So I got a I got a lot to talk to say about Halo Jones. I want to save it for when we finish the series, Fox. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not. I don't want to like. You know, I feel like I've done I've done you a disservice by by blowing it up by blowing Halo Jones up too much already. So I'm trying not to get too crazy about it. Um, so, but there are some things to keep in mind here. I'd say keep an eye out on like the demographics and the types of characters we see in this story. Yeah, of course. And yeah, then yeah. I, I like world yeah. building, so I'm paying attention. And then and it's, all it's also yeah. Alan Moore, so he's not fucking around. Definitely. And I'd say just in terms of the storytelling and stuff, keep an eye out for the for the relative lack of narration boxes in the course of Halo Jones. You know? Oh, it, I didn't even think about. Yeah, that. think about it. Yeah. Well, no, there's some in the in in part two, but it's it's very short. Um. But yeah, so like you said, you know, the big thing about this, especially this first book of Halo Jones, is they definitely just sort of toss you into this story. Um, we open on a giant cityscape flying out to a huge circular structure in the ocean. As we hear, just, um, we're, we're sort of entered into the story by hearing a series of, of, uh, of parts of a news report about mm -hmm. this spaceship, the Clara Pandy, which is, which is flying into Earth today and will be uh, disassembled in a month's time. We keep zooming in further and further. Um, 
and, 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 and until we come to an apartment that a bunch of women are living in, and they're planning to go see the Clara Pandy as it flies over, including an older lady named Brenna, her robo-dog Toby, and her young friends Rodice and Halo Jones. I'm into I like Toby. Toby's cool, man. Robot dog. Um, <laughs> the four of them uh, uh, head out. They avoid a bunch of different drummers, which is this weird cult of uh, of people with identical goth slash punk haircuts and makeups and stuff with implants in their heads that make them hear the same beat that they all kind of nod along to. Oh my god. The uh, the pandy flies overhead and Halo is enraptured by the ship, which looks like this giant metallic swan being flown it's in. really beautiful. Yeah, it, and it's flown by this fleet of like small sky tugboats and stuff. It looks really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and really like, yeah, just like sci-fi adventure stuff for sure. Uh, a man in the crowd demands to know why the Clara, why the, why the Clara Pandy has to be destroyed and gets into a fight with a Proximan, which is this weird alien chicken lizard guy. Mm-hmm. With the ship gone overhead, tensions start to rise in the area. Another man tries to like proposition Rodis basically because she's showing yeah. a bare arm, but gets dissuaded by Toby. Um, they head home as basically a riot breaks out and the cops fly in. Halo's distracted and angry. She wants to get out of this place, but Rodice is skeptical. She tells Halo, no matter how far you, you get, they'll fetch you back here and bust you to pieces. Just ask Clara Pandy. I mean, like, it's super dark at the end of this. And uh, mind you, like, um, one of the characters that strikes me as one of the ones I like uh, is Rodice. Like, yeah. she's very... She, I don't know. She's very aggressive, doesn't give a shit, but also, like, what a horrible thing to say. Yeah, I mean, or maybe she, that's the world. Who knows? Well, yet. she's re- she, she's really tough, and I feel like part of that toughness means that she's also really cynical, you know? Mm. Um, and so that's definitely what, what we're seeing at the end of this, of this first prog. Uh, yeah. Next up, uh, we go to a, a little night music as Halo and Rodice are at a concert where their friend Ludi is playing a Dota, which seems to be a kind of like bass or cello that's mm-hmm. floating in like this water that surrounds like the stage. Like the stage is sort of in like this little island on a small lake and Ludi's playing the Dota as it sort of floats in the water there. Yeah, this whole place looks really swank. It's definitely. The uh, Girls Go Rear scene, which is one of the few... Um, N- n- narration box in this story where they basically yeah, it do- always just describes where they are with yeah. just one word as far as i can tell yeah so far definitely yeah so so, so they go there and, and meet with the band uh where rodice fle- uh, flirts pretty heavily with the lead singer box and ludy expresses a lot of dysfaction with her lot in life and admiration for like how tough rodice is and stuff um yeah. and then she sort of expresses worried worried that there were different drummers at the show tonight as the three head home, uh, 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 Halo, Rodice, and Ludi, um, the streetlights have all gone out, and they're confronted by a gang of drummers that sort of, like, get up all in their space, but then eventually um, single out Ludi and compliment her on her Dota playing, though this basically terrifies her. She, like, you know, they like you. Yeah. And she's so scared by that, that, like, after, even after they say, like, hey, like, we liked how you played and stuff, she, like, falls to her, falls to her knees and, like, cries, basically. Kind of gives you an idea of of who these people are and that they're terrifying and that you don't want to see them. And just the general tension that it seems like all the characters kind of live in at all times, especially going out on their own here in this um, in this place, you know, in the place that they live. Um, Mm. 
The ladies arrive home. Halo asks, um, as they do, there's an interesting part where Halo asks Ludi, like, if she realized that, like, hey, like, you know, we could have get gotten beaten up or whatever by the drummers, and it's only because of your music that they, like, decided to be friendly instead. So maybe you don't have to be, like, tough, you know, it's okay that you aren't tough like Rodius because you have other ways to kind of, like, maybe defend yourself or make a name for yourself or something. Mm-hmm. And Ludi just kind of says, like, yeah, I've, I've, like I've I've realized a lot of things tonight, or I've learned a lot of things tonight, you know. Which like is also really just dark and sad. It's true. Um, as they arrive, Rodice makes a discovery that the the apartment the four of them live in is completely out of food. That means it's time for a shopping expedition. Next time, consumer protection. <laughs> and it just like going out shopping seems to be. Something to be completely avoided. Yeah, I mean, well, just from what we've seen so far, like, the this place, it, it, it's called The Hoop, I guess. Um, and it's just a completely dangerous place that, like, you don't want to be out in too long. And so just the idea of, like, going to buy food and stuff is um, is a major undertaking, you know, and something that is, like, to be afraid of, you know. Can you imagine if D&D sessions were there? <laughs> I mean... You are hungry and need to buy food. Yeah, I mean, kind of, like, you could, I mean, you know, this stuff's ripe for having character, having situations like this. But so what do you think of uh, these first two parts of Halo Jones here? Uh, I mean, it's it's like the same sort of feeling that you got out of, um, out of Skiz, right? Like, mm-hmm. not a lot needs to be explained, right? Like, I think that's the biggest problem. And you're sort of seeing this. This is like new, new comic book style for the time mm-hmm. being done versus like the old comic book style, right? Where there's these pictures, but everything needs to be described in a box in terms of like how characters are trying to be or perform or what actions are being undertaken or where they are. Whereas in this, they just sort of let the pictures take into it. You fill in the rest with some imagination and like context yeah this is part of what i like about alan moore is that he's he's not spending this time explaining like um what pseudo portugal is or uh (laughs) anything like that it's just like nah man like this is the the day-to-day situation and you feel the tent like you were saying you feel the tension in these girls already like i didn't know the importance of the dog until about part way through and it's just like oh because you kind of need some protection yeah. I mean, I'll say, yeah, I definitely agree. Like the idea of opening sort of cold and just kind of having like news reports or a TV thing kind of open the story up is a very sort of modern way of telling a, a comic book story. I think it's like, mm-hmm. it, for instance, it's how I think uh, like the Dark Knight Returns starts, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and sort of not having, not relying on a lot of narration boxes. I'll say that, that it's different from Skiz because Skiz, if you look at those early ones, actually has a ton of narration boxes. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's a lot of like sort of because they're they're sort of establishing how oh, alien like the ship is you know so they're sort of like having like big narrations of like you know you know interpreter zix's had to like recalibrate the thinking the thinking gr- grass or something yeah, like that so, aboard the but, ship but he was also doing that like so first it was to to explain esoteric stuff but then yeah. he was playing around with it being like a joke where it's just like um 
you yeah, know, where, where it's it's it's, it's not, a lot of tech gibberish as opposed to actual words and stuff like that. Right. I think yeah, it's true, but I feel like, yeah, I'm just saying that that it's a different. You know, they're yeah. both doing the same thing of sort of tossing you into this sort of sci-fi setting and 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 expecting you to pick things up and get going on your own and stuff because like that. That's what fantasy is. It's a fucking fantasy. Like, yeah. No, I'm not saying I'm not going to get too into this. This is like part of the reason why I'm not uh, like a huge uh, Star Wars guy or even Star Trek guy anymore. It's just like, (laughs) man, space wizards are not hard. Yeah. And and like you just look at fantasy and you make it like this. It feels like this mix between um, uh, what's that cyberpunk uh, kind of. D and D campaign. I'm I'm thinking of uh, Shadowrun. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit more Shadowrun, less elves and and dwarves and things like that. But mm-hmm. um, definitely has that kind of feel where it's like weird shits going on. Yep, there's a lot of tension. It's not it's not safe. Like the world is not a safe place, or at least mm-hmm. their world isn't. Um, with what I consider like Alan Moore's incredible ability to characterize people. Like, even though they're just archetypes right now, you can already see, like, the world is having an effect, at least on Luddy. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something to keep an eye out for as we go through Halo Jones. I will say that um, I think it's a good thing to pick up on. Um, This is something that early letters of 2008, um, that my understanding is that in the early days, especially when Halo Jones was first coming out, people did complain about being confused and not kind of knowing, like, what terms are and what's going on with things and stuff. Change is um, confusing. Yeah, I mean, one thing we'll see later in this story is they is they will have kind of a breakdown of what the setting is and sort of how things work and stuff like that. But I'd say it's interesting to look at the difference between um, how how we see Halo Jones start in the in the comics and how uh, some of the other sort of big stories we've seen start in in 2080. I'm thinking of like mm-hmm. how when Slain starts, there's a whole bunch of like text of just sections that are just literally typewritten of like here's a glossary, here's like the history, here's terms you'll see and stuff. Yeah. Or even like at the end in this prog where they have a bunch of um of of uh ace garp uh trucker terms right where they're sort of seeding it so you know what's going on in there as opposed to halo jones it also has a lot of like jargon and terminology and characters and stuff but they just sort of say like all right like you're gonna figure this out on your own essentially you know i'll be honest i never read those things like the supplementary material yeah i I did i did read like the the slain stuff uh, that pat mills put out like that Mm -hmm. was interesting like his experience and what he was reading and all that stuff but like the supplementary stuff, while it's fun and funny, you know, um, yeah, I, I, mean, I get what it's for and I don't need it because like the comic does a good enough job of just being ridiculous and giving you context. Clues. Yeah. And I think it's easier to pick up on those context clues also when we sort of read for a week and sort of go through oh, sure. things and stuff. I feel like those yeah, add course. more value, especially when you're sort of waiting week to week and you need something more to read or something like that. Of course. But I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, I think it's interesting and I think it's an on purpose and telling detail about Halo Jones that while they have that stuff written, they don't show it to you at first they're like the the idea is for you to be kind of disoriented and go through this story trying to figure out how Mm -hmm. things work as you go as opposed to having it all laid out to you at first it makes this story feel kind of alien and interesting and makes you want to learn more about like what this world is who these characters are and stuff like that 
Um, yeah, and I'm excited for more Halo Jones, man. Um, you know, we're probably going to get it for like two more episodes, basically. It's not a very long story, but it echoes through the ages, and I don't want to talk more about it until we get to the end of it. <laughs> or oh, man. Awesome. About, about, about that part of it until we get to the end. Of course. Yeah. Anyhow. Yeah, no, yeah. It, that's just how cool it was that we had to take just a, a, a two-issue, uh, I mean, you know, prop. I mean, yeah, I mean... It is really, it is a really important thrill. So it's important. So it's good to talk about, to discuss things. But I, I don't hate it. Yeah. So hey, far. that's good. That's, that's especially good. And speaking of the end of things, Fox, oh man, that's the end of this episode. Good Lord. We made it through the wilderness somehow. Yeah. We made it through. A lot going on this time. So tell me what were your top and bottom thrills for this May and June 1984, Prague's 374 to 377. Gucci Paluji man, you know it's going to be that tippity top going to stritty dump da da ding dong. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. What? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I had to. I made it out of the sentence alive. Don't question it. Okay, fair. So, um, yeah, no, man. Strontium Dog was great. Like I said, like, I, so I appreciate um, these comics when they do one of two things, right? They're either swift and effective. Mm-hmm. Or they're drawn out and and you really take things in a la, you know, uh, block mania and block wars and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Strontium Dog, man, it is just like I read through it so quickly because I just want to get to the next part and things are handled so visually well and <laughs> story wise that I'm just like I'm hooked. And by the time I'm done, I'm like, man, now I got to go on to the next thing. I want to read this right now, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, which is which is I always I think like really um, one of its one of its key strengths. Strontium Dog is is never boring. Mm. Um, he's in hell sometimes or uh, <laughs> fighting, fighting a mutant war. Yep. You know, he's he's not like uh, it's not like brushing his teeth or or. <laughs> being traitored a thousand million times which brings me to my bottom man i i'm just i'm i'm sorry because i know there are people out there and i know you're you are one among them but rogue trooper man i just can't i'm not excited to read it um, yeah, that's and fine. not because you i know. think it's bad like i actually because I, it gets a bad break i just think that there if there were some more depth to the things that were going on or if the stories weren't just the same and maybe it's a product of its time and that's a lot harder for me to to kind of get into, but we've read war stories before. Mm-hmm. If you look at, um, you know, uh, uh, invasion, what is it? Uh, well, invasion. I mean, that's I mean, the big one no for one, war. No one can really, really uh, yeah. touch that uh, like at all. And like, yeah. that's the thing is I'm not saying it has to be goofy, wacky. I mean, it could really like tackle some, some really serious issues about war and, and for what side you're on. So it was kind of the whole Vietnam kick is like, this is not a good situation, but it's not, it's not super doing that for me. And it hasn't done it the entire time. And I know we're winding down with some, so tired of betrayals and will they, won't they with the chips and their bodies. Um, and then like nothing really resolving itself. It's just him wandering around, but, cool shit not happening to him i mean there is some stuff don't get me wrong i'm just i'm i'm very done um tired of it no that's reasonable i think yeah I, th- I think that's reasonable yeah i mean rogue is um I- i'd say of the of like sort of these these rushmore thrills he's definitely the weakest one i think but it's also just because you know 
he's so formulaic. His the stories are so are so formulaic that mm-hmm. eventually you really get a sense of the formula, and that just becomes super boring. You know, which is yeah. sort of always the greatest the greatest sin. You know, is just in, that in like a, in a book about thrills, right? Yeah, where it's just like, all right, like yeah, like this is just the same. You know, this is the same situation we've had every time. Like, yeah, he's betrayed. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we just want to get back to the status quo, you know. I'd, I'd love to see him do a whole G.I. Joe's, like, assemble a, a ragtag group. I mean, this is just me quoting Invasion at this point. But, like, <laughs> make a bunch of weird characters that you meet that are all, like, aliens and, and like, souther people who left and northern people who left. Yeah. And, like, then you guys, like, fighting against both, kind of, and pitting things against each other and, and like trying to get the chips regened in all sorts of fucked up ways. Right. Like, yeah, whatever, man. Be cool. <laughs> yeah. We definitely, you know, we've had the same. Yeah. We've definitely been sort of doing the same, doing very similar stories for the last three years or stuff like that. And, you know, we're sort of rogue starting to show some wear, I think at this point. And so it's good that we're sort of getting towards the end of it. I'd say. Yeah. So Conrad, I've been doing a bunch of talking about, all the shit. Oh, and special mention, of course, to <laughs> special mention to Halo Jones. It was fucking excellent, uh, and I'm really excited for this uh, this next um, nice thread story. Uh, yeah, of course. So anyway, uh, Conrad, your tippity top and bit of bitty bottom. Oh man, um, I'm gonna say I'll agree with you and say that Strong Team Dog's my top. This is a fun Strong Team Dog week. Like the Scottish alien, like the Scottish. Uh, I, I like the Scottish planet. I like the action um, at the spaceport and in the jungle for um, the the other strong team dogs and stuff mm. like that. Just fun times, good action, good comedy, the good mix that we're sort of looking for with always with strong team dog. Oh, um, yeah. I also like Dread. Dread was pretty good this month. Um, like the uh, the wreckers, the Steve Dillon story was really good. Um, I like the, the Joe, the, uh, the, the Joe super block one with, with Kim mm-hmm. Raymond. That was just had a very good, like slice of mega city one life one. And yeah, and I'm stoked for this me machine story too. I love me machine. Always happy when he shows up and we do a crazy <laughs> story with him, you know, where he thinks that judge dreads his dad. Absolutely. It's just something, you know, there's something, I feel like John Wagner agrees with me on this. There's just something inherently funny about a country guy just saying, Paul, like that's a funny <laughs> That's funny, just on its face. Um, for my bottom, I'm going to say Future Shocks, bro. Oh, I mean, that is um, so fucking fair. I mean, get out of here. Mostly just because there's a lot of Future Shocks this month. There's like, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, there's like seven Future Shocks, and that's oh. enough where, where I can, I feel like I'm, I'm comfortable counting them. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> and, we're not supposed to count them because they're not supposed to matter, right? But like you know, when there's more than like five, when there's, when there's more than five, which means that there's more than one per prog. It means that they're trying to get themselves in in the picture, and so I'll judge them accordingly. And again, you know, it's just sort of the same old story, same old boring stuff. Um, I do agree that like you know, I'm pretty ready for Rogue to kind of uh, do some retooling and stuff like that. Um, but mostly I'm just, I'm very excited for how things are going to go. I'm super excited about this Dread story, super excited about Halo Jones. And I feel like we're entering, you know, I feel like, um, like the golden, golden age was sort of like maybe 335. That one when, uh, mm. when Nemesis and Strong Team Dog oh, came God. back, sort That's of so hardcore. So, yeah. And that sort of lasted through, I'd say like the end of Slain, like maybe an, an issue mm. or two. 
or two ago. Um, but now we're sort of refueling and kind of like trying to recapture some of that stuff with Halo Jones and then with, um, with Ace who's coming back and then with Nemesis later in the year and stuff like that. It should all be and good stuff. Great. Yeah. Oh man, it's going to be good times and I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Banner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site, spacebanner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacebanner2000 at gmail.com. On the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Then, come back next time as Halo Jones goes shopping, Dread and Mean go traveling, Rogue is going to Death Valley, and the GARP gets out of prison as Ace Trucking returns. Aw, hell yeah. I'm yeah. excited. Excited. Yeah, 10-10, good buddies. Until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spunding for Freak. So one of our um, listeners sent me a whole bunch of British uh, snack foods this week. Yeah, man. And I, a, a new, another one or the one you told no, me sa- about? No, same one, yeah. But it's pretty awesome, man. I've been trying all these, uh, all these like, crisps and stuff like that. Um, okay, what's your top? I mean, it's weird because, like, I don't know if I like any of them, I guess. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like the uh, like like because it's all these meat flavors and then like pickled flavors and I'm not really a fan of either of those really like I, I gotta do like a I do like a beef flavor beef like beef's weird yeah it's got kind of like a liquid smoke kind of taste and mm-hmm. then like like the pickled stuff like pickled onions and stuff like that have kind of like a sweet like kind of a sweet and sour kind of taste I guess which. I mean I don't know I'm a very plain I'm very plain in my uh, in my like chip options like I'll, I'll eat like plain plain chips or something like that mm. so like and like I, I never get like salt and vinegar or anything like that which is what these are i'd, I'd, I'd say are most like you know oh man that's like my favorite is yeah no i mean a lot of people like that not me i'm a weird guy like i i admit that um <laughs> no, man, you got your tastes like look i like as long as it's not prawn flavored we're good I mean, there are, like, so I had one thing that was, like, scan, that was, like, like, prawn cocktail that tastes way more oh. like cocktail sauce, actually, than, like, actual shrimp okay. stuff. But then there's what, a, another one that's scampi flavored, which the guy who sent it to me said tastes gross. So I'm, I'm excited to try that one, but I haven't had a chance to yet. God. So it's just a bunch of variably crunchy shaped food items. Yes. And then they also gave me some candy, and it's real funny. I guess British candy doesn't really use food coloring at all. <laughs> like, oh, so it's just like brown. It's it's, it's kind of like white or kind of like a pale pastel kind of color or, or something mm. like that. It, it it's weird. It's weird in comparison to what American candy lo- looks like. That's what I'm saying. You know, American candy looking all bright and colorful. Well, yeah, you know, they'll try to like trick you with the eyes and then give you junk. You know, there's much less. Like, yeah, this here's just this white powder. Put it in your face, you know? <laughs> Which is what a lot of these British candies seem to be. You it's know? like sugar, but we branded it to you. Yeah, it's sugar, but we've uh, either... It's just, yeah, there's like three or four pixie stick things. And then, like, here's just kind of like sugar that we've, uh, like, you know, hardened into, like, just a piece of a piece of candy. 
Like, suck oh, on it. <laughs> Put it in you. <laughs> you know? Wow. Go crazy and make your parents think that you're a wild child from just the sheer, sheer amount of overdosing you're doing on sugar. I swear to God, on Friday, I ate so much candy, I thought I was going to like run through a wall. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, then just deliver some children some juice out of the top of your head. I was just I was just sitting on my couch like um like the guy in 2001 a space odyssey just like blinking yeah. and my and everything changing color around me cuz I was so hopped <laughs> up on the sugar, you know. I mean, it's the real drug of, of, uh, of our lives. I mean, there's a reason why it's completely outlawed in Mega City 1, right? <laughs> That's actually really fair now that yeah. you're thinking about it. Yeah, all right, yeah. So, okay, enough of my hot takes about British snack foods. I'm sure everyone's going to be angry at me now. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, look, you if there's anything that people want to know, it's what we think of uh, British crisps. I, feel like, I probably can get pretty easily. Now I feel, I yeah, I feel like there are people that want to know that, you know? Like, that's there, the thing. I mean, listen, man, you give the audience what they want. It's Don't true. Don't deny them. <laughs>